Word of God in the New Testament, we first turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, and we read Matthew 18, verse 12 to 20, and our second passage is from the second epistle of John. 2 John is our second passage. But first we listen to the Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 18, starting at verse 12. This is the Word of God. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. <clears throat> we now turn to the epistle of John, the second epistle. <clears throat> to John, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. 
Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So far the reading of God's holy word. Let us now respond by singing together from Psalm 101, the stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 5. Psalm 101, the stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 5. resume the sequence of the Lord's Days that we used to follow until a few weeks ago. So we turn this time to Lord's Day 31, and I may proclaim the Word of God to you as we summarize and confess that in Lord's Day 31. We find it on page 546 in the back of our Book of Praise. In Lord's Day 31, we echo the Word of God as follows. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the holy gospel, and church discipline? By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits 
as often as they by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments, and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. That is Lord's Day 31. <clears throat> In response to the sermon, we will be singing from Psalm 133, both stanzas. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how important is the church for you, brothers and sisters? For more and more people, the church is important no longer. In a recent article I read, the idea was posed that in the coming decade, the church will decline rapidly. The instituted church has had its time for many people. At the same time, the thought was expressed that this doesn't mean that faith will disappear. The church is disappearing, faith is not, was the conclusion. For many people think, I don't need the church for my faith. Is that true? Is the church not important? Is that why it is not so bad when people withdraw from the church as long as they still believe that's what matters? Or even if they go to a different church where they feel at home a bit more, so what? Isn't faith something between you and God? And isn't it more important for your faith that you feel comfortable where you are? In Lord's Day 33, beloved, we confess something very different from those sentiments. We believe that the Scriptures reveal a much different understanding of the importance of the church. The church is very important indeed. It's not just a place which you can join or from which you can withdraw at will, depending on your feelings. For in the church and by the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are administered. Namely, 
to admit to it or exclude from it. In the Bible, the church is called our mother. The church is a wife and mother who has to take care of us, her children. We cannot live or thrive without this mother or her motherly care. That's the focal point I would like to take as I proclaim the Word of God, which we confess as follows. To the church, his wife, Christ has entrusted the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Hence, the church must be a faithful mother for us. And secondly, the church must be a caring mother for us. So I summarize the message of this afternoon as follows. To the church, his wife, Christ has entrusted the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Hence, the church must be a faithful mother for us. Hence, the church must be a caring mother for us. So first of all, the church must be a faithful mother for us. Well, let's first see, brothers and sisters, where in the Bible the church is compared to a mother. In Galatians 4, verse 26, we read, But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. The gift of Christ to the church is the new Jerusalem. That's where we have our citizenship today already. Well, says Paul to the Galatians, that Jerusalem that's coming is our mother, the one who gives us life today. In her we enjoy the glorious freedom of the children of God. Also, in the second epistle of John, we saw this image used for the church. There, John is addressing a certain local church. He does not mention her name, but it must have been one of the churches of Asia Minor which he served. From the contents of the letter, we may conclude that he knew her well, both the members and the office bearers. Well, John addresses this church as to the elect lady and her children. For the word lady, John uses the Greek word kuria. That's the feminine for kurios, lord or master. So this congregation is the lady of the master, the wife of the lord. In that position, she is exhorted to take good care of her house, her household. For that task, she has to keep the master's will in mind, carry out her task the way the Lord wants. As curia, she has to be faithful to her Lord, her curios, to whom belongs the curia care, this household. Now, from the word kuriakere, the word kerk, or kirk, or kirche, or church is derived. So Christ, the Lord, has given an important task to his church, his wife and the mother of her children. Of course, as his wife and mother of her children, she is mother of his children too. 
John repeats that relationship in verse 13 as well. The children of your elect sister send their greetings. Evidently, these are greetings from another congregation. Hence, John calls her your elect sister, who also has children. So, two churches in two different places he calls sister churches of each other. We still use that expression today. Our congregation, our church of which we are members, is the wife of Christ. And we who are the children of this lady have her as our mother. That's why we also call each other our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Together we also belong to our Heavenly Father, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Calvin starts writing about the church, he says, for those believers to whom God is their father, the church must be their mother. Let's then see at this point already, beloved, that for those who say, I love God as my heavenly father, it cannot be possible that they say, but I don't really care all that much about the church. The scriptural use of the image of Christ's curia and mother of his children clearly shows how important the church really is for us. John even calls this church the elect lady twice. So the church is not just a human invention or institution. No, God and the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave her a special position, his chosen one. He favors her, that is. She is his special choice. No wonder, therefore, that the Apostle Paul uses the relationship between Christ and his church as the image that we should reflect as husband and wife. Their choice relationship is one of intimate love, total commitment. Yes, in love to her, he even gave himself up for her unto death. Now we realize, of course, beloved, that this is just an image to characterize the relationship. Nevertheless, the use of this image should determine our attitude toward the church. When you consider the church of Christ, the congregation to which you belong, you may be aware of all sorts of wrong and sinful conditions in her, yet you won't speak about her in a negative way or slandering her. You know, that happens sometimes that a sister speaks very negatively about the church or that a brother has nothing good to say about the congregation or about the office bearers. That's impossible when you love the church the way the Lord loves her and gave himself up for her. In the same vein, if the Lord esteems her very highly because she is precious to him, then we cannot treat her with disrespect or with disdain. When you do that, you ignore or deny the love of God in Christ completely. 
Now, at this point, it could be, brothers and sisters, that you are wondering whether this image can still be used today in the midst of all the divisions among the churches. What can you do with it in the sight of all those churches that are so different? Sure, there may be churches that are much alike and very close, but there are others that are totally different. And these differences pertain not just to some practices or cultures, but to essential aspects and important points of doctrine. Then you can hardly maintain this image, can you? Implying that each church would be a wife and mother in Christ? How many wives would Christ not have in that case? What kind of a Lord would he be? That is why it should not surprise us that people lose sight of the importance of the church. Now, for an answer to that question, beloved, I want to remind you of what we confess in Belgian Confession, Article 29. There we echo the Word of God in the Confession that there are many churches and sects or groups that call themselves church unjustly. Hence, we confess we must carefully distinguish the true church. Then the true church is not the church with the most ancient papers or with the oldest archives, but the true church can be recognized by her walking in the truth. That's how John already acknowledges the outstanding characteristic of the church to which he writes his epistle. This walking in the truth, we confess, shows in the three marks of the church. It practices the true preaching of the gospel. It maintains the pure administration of the sacraments. It exercises church discipline for correcting and punishing sins. That's the same as we confess here in Lord's Day 31. For my catechism students, I always simplify this to say, in the true church, the word, the truth, must be heard, seen, and felt. The word of Christ is the norm by which we discern the true church. So you recognize the church, brothers and sisters, in the way the keys of the kingdom of heaven are administered. The way Christ, her Lord, wants them to be administered. That's how we should approach it also when we speak about this together. For those discussions are not always the most pleasant especially when we focus too much on the sincere believers we still know in such churches that do not walk in this truth obediently. Indeed, those are sad and sorrowful realities because they often pertain to our loved ones who believe as well. Hence, we are inclined to diminish the importance of the differences or react by saying that the church as such is not so important. But that's not a good reaction, though. For why is the church so important? Because she is the chosen wife of the Lord and thus our mother. 
then she should also be a faithful mother by her walking in the truth and living in accordance with the truth. Christ wants to bring his children to salvation, to eternal life. In this church, Christ wants to nourish you to everlasting life. In this church and by this church, he wants to call you back when you stray in the wrong direction or when you walk or live in the wrong way. In the church, Christ wants to feed you with wholesome food, solid food, food from which your faith grows so that it becomes stronger. In the church, you must learn to develop an intimate relationship with the Lord, which will deepen your knowledge of God and your love for God. He wants to raise you up to a life in wisdom, in holiness. Now, since Christ wants his children so to walk in the truth, beloved, and so to love one another, he wants the mother of his children to be faithful in that regard. She has to be a faithful wife, a faithful mother, a reliable mother of her children. How? Well, as John instructs her, she has to keep out anyone who brings a word, a teaching, which goes against her Lord. For that would harm her children. Hence, a true church means that she is a faithful, a reliable, and submissive church. You see, then we should not be too sensitive for the use of the word true church, as sometimes can be observed. That word, that word does not denote some elitist society or a complacent group of people. You know, perhaps people's manner of speaking may give the impression that this is what it means, yet that certainly is not a scriptural way of speaking. That would give a wrong impression of the beautiful relationship between Christ and his curia, the church. No, brothers and sisters, as John puts it, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Such a teaching or such a person does not belong in your house, in the household of the Lord. That would only lead to confusion, to division, to misery, to destruction. Hence, characteristic for the true church is a faithful household. Only the Word rules that household. If it is different, if something different from the Word or beside the Word receives a place as well, the life of the children is at stake. Then reformation is called for. And that's what happened in the history of the church many a time. What a sadness and sorrow that brings. Yes, even separation among the children of the Lord. Then it happens that some say, you are not allowed to leave, for mother is sick. It's mean and wrong to live a sick mother. However, that's distorting the situation. 
A mother who feeds her children with the wrong food, with tainted food, endangers the spiritual well-being of her children. Such a mother is not sick, but she is unfaithful to her Lord, and her treatment of her children is abusive. Such an abusive mother loses custody over her children in order that her children be saved. The children of the Lord are saved only with a faithful mother in a true church which is faithful to her Lord and walks in the truth solely and totally, and in which the children love their Lord and each other truthfully. In the true church, love and truth go hand in hand. We should note, beloved, how the Apostle John expresses himself sharply when it pertains to such unfaithfulness and deviations. He calls them deceivers, yes, even antichrists. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul calls these deceivers dogs, as we also hear John speak about them by that name in Revelation 22. Namely, those members who pretend faithfulness in the confession, yet work deception and deviation in their daily walk of life. Now, isn't that remarkable that the apostle of love uses such sharp and condemning language for those unfaithful members and teachers? But that's not so remarkable if you realize that for John, Love and truth go hand in hand. Love shows in faithfulness, obedience. As in Revelation 22, so we see in the epistle of Paul to the Philippians that our eternal reward is at stake. We should be very careful with the word, which is the key of life eternal. We come to our second point. The church must be a caring mother for us. The church should not only be faithful in the administration of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, she should also take good care of her children. In her care for the children, the mother has to ensure that the food is good and that her education is good too, leading to a holy life. That characteristic of a faithful mother will require total dedication and devotion to her Lord as well. At Caesarea Philippi, Christ himself gave these keys to the apostles. That's when Peter confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Christ responded by saying, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Via the apostles, these keys were given to the church of Christ. She has the use of these keys and has to do so carefully. All the keys. So not just the key of the front door, the way Peter is often portrayed in cartoons or in obituaries. 
namely as the doorkeeper at the gate of heaven. No, Peter and the apostles, and through them the church of Christ, received all the keys of the kingdom of heaven. They received also the key of the treasury, to take from it treasures old and new, the key of the storage rooms, from which supplies are taken for the education, the instruction, and well-being of the households. Brothers and sisters, this way you must come to realize what great responsibility and authority the church received. Hence you will become aware as well of the seriousness of such attitude of people who say, the church, who cares? Important? I can do without it. It doesn't matter where you go. All that matters is my relationship with God. No way! The church has the administration of the keys of God's kingdom. With these keys, she opens the kingdom to everyone who believes, and she closes it for everyone who does not believe. Yes, and on the last day, in the final judgment, God and Christ will judge us in accordance with what we have done with this proclamation of the church in our life. For what are these keys? Well, says the Catechism, that's first of all the proclamation of the gospel. That's the preaching of the word in the sermon and in the sacraments. So what is this preaching for? Does this proclamation give you a commentary on political issues or on social matters? No. In the preaching, we hear the voice of the Lord who seeks us in his love for us. He showed his love by dying for our sins so that he could deliver us from these sins. That's why the preaching should convince us of these sins, that they might be forgiven. Yes, the Heidelberg Catechism says, then this forgiveness is declared to us. That's a formal judicial verdict and acquittal, as the courts pronounce them. Yes, here in the church, this proclamation also declares to everyone who denies these sins, or to anyone who refuses to confess these sins, or to repent from them, that God's wrath over sin remains on them. That's a judgment which God takes over too. So what you do here with the preaching today has a tremendous significance and impact on what God will say and do on the day of judgment. In the sight of this last day, therefore, your church going is very important, as is your listening, your believing. Then the Heidelberg Catechism mentions a second key, namely church discipline. Well, this aspect of the church's care for her children gives more difficulty. Quite often that's associated with excommunication right away. Or it brings to mind an element of bothering other members, minding other members' business. 
Yet, church discipline should be viewed much more positively than that. As with all discipline, it has everything to do with helping children grow up and mature in the right way. It is discipling of those who follow Jesus Christ. It means shepherding a child's heart just as much as that which is done by the preaching, only in a more direct and specific way, perhaps. By means of discipline, we seek to bring order and responsibility in a child's life. In a household, it's a work of all the brothers and sisters to help each other continue on the right way or to bring each other back to it if needs be. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, says Paul in Colossians 3 verse 16, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, also he writes, We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Or here, the way such family life is described or expressed in the household of Christ in Hebrews 3, verse 13, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It's amazing indeed how often the New Testament speaks about such acts of care for one another. Indeed, we should know ourselves responsible for each other. You see, beloved, when there is an ongoing and open care and communication, it won't stick out so sorely when one member sees the need for admonition. When our concern and responsibility for one another is genuine, there won't be all this talk about each other, this gossip that seems so hard to eradicate, but then the care and concern for one another will be a normal feature in congregational life. It's in that environment of a warm and caring household that the Lord's instruction in Matthew 18 functions properly and becomes a blessing. In such a household, we don't talk about each other behind the backs of one another, but with each other face to face and heart to heart. If needs be, such admonition is done repeatedly, patiently, gently. Then also the need for a witness to be there doesn't need to be viewed as a matter of policing or judicial pursuit. Rather, it's with an effort of common concern and care that we walk that way, the way of Matthew 18. Rather, it's with an effort of common concern that we reach out to each other that way, the way of Matthew 18. Then even the extreme step of excommunication is taken as a remedy an extreme measure of genuine sorrow, seeking the repentance of the sinner. 
Don't forget, Lord's Day 31 is still in the part of our deliverance in the Heidelberg Catechism. Censure lasts only as long as there is no repentance. Let's imitate our Heavenly Father as portrayed by the Lord in His parable on the prodigal son. Sin must be removed from the household, and the sinner won back. Beloved, do we need a church? We cannot do without her. That's the way God has ordained it, and Christ has willed it. The church is the mother of us all. She is responsible for our faith, to nourish it, form it, strengthen it, and deepen it. Therefore, let's love our mother, because we love our Heavenly Father and want to follow Christ in His way and work of love. Let's also take care together that our mother remains faithful and caring. That will be for our well-being and for the glory of God. And indeed we can, thanks to the power of the Spirit of Christ that He gave to us. Amen.